Welcome to Holistic History, the Fall of Celtic Britain. I'm Tony Frost, and this is Episode 6. In Episode 5, we examine the period of instability following King Arthur's death. In this episode, we will look at what is known of the monarch Melguain and his son Run. Melguain was the fifth and last of the tyrants Gildas criticized in his book, The Ruin and Conquest of Britain. In a previous episode, we said that three of the other four were monarchs of the central government, like Melguain. Cuniglasses, the other man on Gildas' list, we think was Melguain's right-hand man, and not a monarch at all, because Gildas is the only source to say he was a king. The monarchy of the Britons operated on nepotism, and Melguain and Cuniglasses were cousins. Their fathers were brothers. We will look at what Gildas wrote about Cuniglasses in this light. Gildas called Cuniglasses the charioteer of the bear's stronghold. By the 6th century, chariots had not been used in warfare for centuries. They continued to be used for ceremonial purposes and for sporting races. It is safe to assume that this was not a reference to Cuniglasses as a racer. It's likely, therefore, that he drove a ceremonial chariot during parades. Perhaps Melguain was the passenger in the chariot. Gildas accused Cuniglasses of taking part in civil wars and said he had weapons unique to himself. This mysterious statement has no obvious explanation. Our guess is that it is a reference to siege engines, catapults, battering rams, and the like. They were expensive to manufacture and required experts with specialized training to operate. These experts commanded a high price. The expense may have made them available only to the monarch himself. As Melguain's trusted aide, Quinny Glasses could have been given command of the siege engines. This brings us to Melguain himself. First, his name means Great Hound. Gildas called him Dragon of the Isle. Although this is often taken as a reference to the Isle of Anglesey, which was part of his province of Gwynedd, it is taken here to mean the island of Britain itself. Melguain is described by Gildas as tall, and other sources indicate that he was good-looking. Gildas said he relieved other tyrants of their lands and some even of their lives. This means he had to fight rebellious nobles, but was secure enough to successfully risk blood feuds by killing some of them. He was also accused of murdering his first wife and his nephew so that he could marry the nephew's widow, who was accused of collaborating with Melguain in these murders. Gildas is our only source for this information, so it should be taken with a grain of salt. Dynastic marriages were an important part of diplomacy in monarchy. It was common practice that if one person in the marriage died, the survivor was then married to someone else in the dead spouse's family as a sign that the treaty was still in force. Gildas may have put a sinister spin on something that was really innocent. In his book, The History of the Kings of Britain, Geoffrey of Monmouth called Melguain Malgo and presented a more positive view of him. Geoffrey also referred to Melguain deposing nobles, but says they had treated people harshly. He also said Malgo was personally brave and generous. Gildas also mentions Melguain's generosity as a sign that the king could do good when he chose. Geoffrey's only criticism of Malgo was that he was a homosexual. Although certainly possible, this is not attested to in any other sources. Having presented a realistic view of Melguain, Geoffrey then indulged in a flight of fancy by saying he conquered Ireland, Iceland, Gotland and the Orkney Islands, Norway and Denmark. Of course, this empire never existed. Other more reliable sources say Melguain was a patron of the bards and founded many religious institutions. It should be noted that many people believe Melguain's second wife was a Pictish princess. In the following generation, the High King of the Picts was Bridi, son of Malcon. The similarities of names 
has led to speculation that Malcon was Malguain, but the evidence was too slight for a firm conclusion. Malguain died of the plague. According to the Cambrian Annals, this happened in 547, which would have given him a reign of roughly 17 years, significantly longer than the reigns of the three men who preceded him. Melguain's successor, both as noble of Gwyneth and monarch, was his son Run. The name means mighty. Run was assigned a long reign of over 30 years, and he died sometime in the 580s. The two main sources we have been using both give out at this point. Gildas wrote his book while Melguain was still alive. Geoffrey had Melguain succeeded by a fictional character named Keratic. Keratic was hated by all, so the Anglo-Saxons sent to Ireland for an African king named Gorman, who arrived with an army of 160,000 men, no less. He conquered most of what became England, then conveniently handed the land over to the Anglo-Saxons and left the country. For the truth, we must turn to the Bardic material. These sources concentrate on what is called the War in the North, which came late in Run's reign. Unfortunately, there are significant details missing. One of these details is the cause of the war. What we do know is Eladir the Courteous, one of the northern nobles, invaded Run's province of Gwyneth. Eladir was killed at Cadnand, which means Battlebrook, the name coming from this fight. Eladir's relatives formed an alliance, which included the province of Altclud, Godothan, and Manogodothan, all of which were in what is now southern Scotland. The alliance was led by Clidno Nuth the Generous, Mordaf the Generous, and Rytherk, who was nicknamed also the Generous. They raided Carnarfon in Gwyneth, sacked it, and then returned north. Run assembled a large army and marched to the Firth of Forth, where he fought a great battle. The men of Carnarfon were placed in the forefront of the battle line. Because of this, ever after, the men of Carnarfon held that position whenever the rulers of Gwyneth went to war. This is the only recorded information on this war, except that it continued for several more years until Run himself was killed. Bardic material concentrates on this civil war, but Run's reign corresponds to a period of resurgent Anglo-Saxon power. In the 570s, a man named Uffa, or Wuffa, gained dominance over the Angle settlements in Norfolk and Suffolk, and founded the Kingdom of East Anglia. The dynasty called itself the Wuffengas in his honour. Angles also established two kingdoms in the north, Bernicia and Dira. In the early 7th century, they would be united into the Kingdom of Northumbria, which covered all of what is now northern England, but at this point they just hugged the coast. The founding of these kingdoms cannot be dated with any certainty. Bede said Bernicia was founded in 547, but this has been disputed, and it might have been as much as ten years later. The first king was Ida, who is said to have been related to Oisk, the founder of the dynasty that ruled Kent. Ida is also said to have killed a British noble named Outagern, which is a variant form of Vortigern. Dira was created some years later by Ali, and nothing is really known of Ali. Kialwin of Wessex expanded his realm during this period. His most famous accomplishment was that he killed three British nobles at the Battle of Dirham in 577. This led to Wessex annexing Gloucester, Cirencester, and Bath. It was argued in the last episode that Wessex was originally a British province, and it may still have been so at this point. Even if Wessex was still British, Run certainly lost lands to the Anglo-Saxons. But he was not blamed for this. Geoffrey even invented a fictional character to avoid blaming Run. And Bardic tradition treated him as a wise ruler. It is probable that these losses were not blamed on Run. Run was seen as a good ruler confronted by problems that were beyond his control. These problems began with the plague that killed Melguain. This was known by several names but is commonly called the Plague of Justinian. 
Justinian was the ruler of the Eastern Roman Empire in this period. This plague was widespread throughout the Mediterranean world, and it reached Britain by the trade routes. The evidence indicates that the Anglo-Saxons were largely untouched by it. This plague affected the reputation of Gildas, the author of The Ruin and Conquest of Britain. The thesis of his book was that Britain was being ruined and conquered as punishment from God for the sins of the Britons. He wrote the book sometime around the year 540. The plague hit about seven years later. The people of this time were deeply religious. They really believed that plagues were punishments from God. Since the plague hit the Britons and not the Anglo-Saxons, it would have appeared to them as if Britain was being ruined and conquered as punishment from God. It would have appeared as if Gildas was a prophet. Gildas had a reputation for wisdom that he seems to have acquired by a fluke. The Britons had been weakened by plague. Then Run was confronted with a major rebellion by his northern nobles. These two events, which were beyond his control, would have made it easier for the Anglo-Saxons to take British lands. To sum up, Melgrain brought a measure of stability after the turmoil of the previous period, although he still had to fight rebellious nobles. His son Run had to deal with resurgent Anglo-Saxons, a major rebellion, and a devastating plague, which made the military situation worse. Please join us next episode when we will continue to recount the decline of the Britons and the rise of the Anglo-Saxons. You have been listening to the fall of Celtic Britain. I'm Tony Frost. Until next time, I hope you stay safe.